You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, I'm traveling today, so a briefer than usual intro this week. And a brief explanation right here at the top of that sound you're about to hear, which is Nancy banging her head on her desk because Nancy doesn't like it when I talk about television. Even a show like The White Lotus Season 2, which was all about infidelity and sustaining desire and long-term relationships and coming out and sex work and evil gays, all topics squarely in the Savage Love Wheelhouse. But Nancy, my producer, someone whose opinion I value more highly than just about anyone else's, including my own, whenever I start talking about television, whenever I digress into a TV show, she glares at me, and when I'm done, tells me she's just going to edit it out. But show's got to have an intro, and if all I talk about during this intro is my new favorite prestige television program, and Nancy isn't here to glare at me, maybe I can get away with talking about the prestige television program that I am currently obsessed with. Milf Manor. I know, I know, I talked about Milf Manor at the top of last week's show briefly before moving on to other things, and I hadn't even seen it yet. Now I've seen it, and now I'm even more obsessed, and I'm not alone. The Guardian, The Observer, The Los Angeles Times, Rolling Stone, Variety, all have written reviews and think pieces about MILF Manor, the new TLC dating show where eight moms and their sons try to find love in a villa in a very scrubby-looking part of Mexico. Even The New Yorker hailed the show as a shameful new low for reality TV. All right. I realize I have a problem, but in my defense, it's not really MILF Manor I want to talk about at the top of this week's Lovecast. It is a question raised on MILF Manor, not a plot point like whether or not you can get pink eye eating ass, which apparently you can. So MILF Manor, new low for reality TV, shameful incest adjacent, but an educational shameful incest adjacent new low. Anyway, the eight young men on the show, when they weren't being felt up by their own moms who had to identify their son's bodies by touch when blindfolded, a scene that may have permanently scarred the New Yorker's television critic, Naomi Fry. These eight young men were trying to figure out the difference between a cougar and a milf, and they screwed it up. A cougar is not, as they all seem to agree, an elder milf. As Laura Bradley pointed out in a Daily Beast piece headlined, I'm begging MILF Manor to stop confusing MILFs and Cougars. MILF is an acronym to describe a mother who is also physically attractive, Bradley writes. Cougars, on the other hand, are older women who actively pursue younger men. A MILF might have no interest in the dudes who pine after her. Bradley should have stopped there, but she didn't. She added, cougardom, on the other hand, is a state of mind more than anything else. No, no, not true. Cougardom, or cougarhood, is not a state of mind. Cougars, of course, had a pop culture moment about 15 years ago. Everyone was suddenly talking about cougars, usually well-off women in their late 30s or 40s, recently divorced from older men. These women wanted to fuck around with some younger men who had stamina instead of Viagra prescriptions. A cougar might be a mom or she might not, 
But being a cougar wasn't defined by a woman's state of mind. It wasn't defined just by her desire. It was defined by her actions. Cougars, apex predators, preyed on younger men. It was what they did and who they did that defined them and still defines them. MILFs, on the other hand, MILFs are in the eye of the beholder, defined not by their own actions, not by anything they're doing, but by something someone else would like to do to them. MILF, the acronym, Mother I'd Like to Fuck. The subject of that sentence, Mother I'd Like to Fuck, is the person who'd like to fuck that mother. A MILF doesn't even have to be down to fuck or want to fuck. And the mother you might want to fuck might not be a mother I want to fuck. So your MILF might not be my MILF. Indeed, for me, as a gay man, there's literally no such thing as a MILF. And the original MILF, the OG MILF, Jennifer Coolidge. She played Stifler's mom in the 1999 teen sex comedy American Pie. And teenage boys, all played by young men in their 20s, They thought she was hot, Stifler's mom was hot, and they wanted to fuck her, and that made her a MILF. Not, again, anything she did, but what they wanted. Jennifer Coolidge, of course, went on to star in The White Lotus two seasons in a performance that just won her a Golden Globe. She played Tanya, who the evil gays were trying to murder. And I will dedicate the entirety of next week's intro to discussing the White Lotus season two, if Nancy will let me, which she won't. So I will find something else to talk about at the top of next week's show. But if you happen to be seated next to me on a plane tomorrow and you would like to talk about the White Lotus or Milf Manor, just let me know. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's, and then the magnum Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savage.love. Come on, you know you want to be one of my subs. Demona Hoffman, host of the Dates and Mates podcast, is here, here on my podcast where she gets to use an F-bomb, which she would never do on her own podcast. We talk about power dynamics, we talk about condoms at orgies, and we talk about a particularly tricky issue in an interracial relationship. Also out now for Magnum Subs, a new sex and politics with Egyptologist Dr. Sarah Parkak. We talk about the sex lives of ancient Egyptians and Dr. Parkak takes one of my listeners, very contemporary, very modern sex questions. All right, let's get to this week's show. Support for today's show, support we are very grateful for, comes from Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can access all the amazing services of the post office right from your desk in your own home, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just click print mail and you are done. It could not be easier. And right now, use Savage for this special offer. Includes up to 55 bucks worth of free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. Do not wait. Go to stamps.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in SAVAGE. That's stamps.com. Enter S-A-V-A-G-E. Me Undies makes feel-good underpants your butt will be proud to wear, and you will be proud to be seen in. They will be the most comfortable pair of underwear you will ever own, and to check it out yourself, go to meundies.com slash SAVAGE. Hello. I have a question, and... I feel like I kind of already know the answer that you'll give me, Dan, but it's been weighing on my mind for a while. Basically, two years ago, I um, went through a pretty bad breakup with someone. I had cheated on him, and it was a pretty, yeah, emotionally draining kind of experience. 
And it's really the first breakup where we've had no contact since we've broken up. And I think about him every so often. You know, a lot's changed in these two years. I've come to realize a lot about why I did what I did. I have no intentions of ever getting back with him or even really having a friendship with him. I don't really know if that could even be possible. But I'm wondering if there's any space for trying to not find closure, but I guess not end on the note that we did. Um, Is there any space for me to reach out and just say, hey, I hope you're well? You know, maybe we could reconnect at some point in a more amicable way. I don't know if I'd phrase it like that, but is there, is, should I just assume that he doesn't want to ever talk to me again and just leave it at that? I guess I, a part of me wants to just do that. But then again, I just feel like, you know, we're nuanced people and maybe, you know, forgiveness or some kind of reconciliatory act would be nice. Let the universe take care of this. If the universe wants you to reconnect with your ex-boyfriend, the ex-boyfriend that you cheated on, the cheating led to a bad breakup and an unamicable breakup. If the universe wants you to have a conversation about what happened, hopefully to apologize again to your ex-boyfriend, you say you've come to a deeper understanding about why you did what you did. I hope that deeper understanding and your desire to reach out to him isn't all about trying to explain to him years after the fact that it wasn't your fault or there were reasons for your cheating and it's just a desperate desire on your part not to have this person out there in the world who thinks you're bad and that you did a bad thing and that you're a bad person. You know, sometimes we hear from exes who did us wrong and it's all about them wanting one more chance to explain to us why what they did wasn't their fault or why we aren't allowed to be mad at them because there were these other things going on that maybe we didn't know about or maybe they didn't even know about at the time. That's a yeah, not a great reason to reach out to somebody. And recently on the show, I have advocated reaching out, reconnecting, maybe apologizing, but I'm not going to endorse getting in touch in your case. I'm going to endorse closure. Closure is something that you give yourself. Closure is something that we do for ourselves. You can sit with this deeper understanding of why what happened happened and forgive yourself and think good thoughts and wish good things and think good thoughts about your ex and wish good things from afar for your ex. And then leave it to the universe. If you should find yourself in the same airport bar, if you should find yourself in the same restaurant sometime, or you walk down the street and you bump into each other, go up to him, apologize again, say a few quick words, wish him well, and then move the fuck on. And gauge from his response to you, from that first look, when your eyes first lock, whether he would want you to approach him at all, and gauge from his reaction to whatever it is you wanted to say to him in that conversation, whether it's something that he wants to hear, needed to hear, wants to continue to discuss with you, and if it's not something he wanted to hear, needs to hear, or maybe he wanted to hear it, is happy to hear it, but is clearly giving off a and we're done vibe, 
say goodbye and walk away. But don't reach out. Don't reach out. If you're supposed to have this conversation, the world is actually a very small place. The number of times I, an introvert, have run into people that I had relationships with in the most unexpected places, because even I, the introvert, sometimes have to leave the house at least a dozen, a dozen times in my life where I ran into somebody that I had unfinished emotional business with, or just one last thing to say to, an apology to make. In some cases, an apology to accept or finally let that person know that I had accepted, sincerely accepted, at least a dozen, at least a dozen. And I mentioned restaurants, I mentioned airport bars, and I mentioned on the street because the last three times this happened to me, airport bar, restaurant, on the street. If it happened to me three times, it can happen to you once. And if it's supposed to happen for you with this particular ex, it will. Hi, Dan. My husband and I are together 11 years. We've got four children ranging from teenagers to preschool. This is both our second marriages. Almost every day, I weigh and compare being or not being with him. And my question is, is this normal? I don't hear of my other friends basically making the staying together choice daily. Everyone else just seems to be committed and living peacefully. Is this one of those positive and enlightened, we wake up and choose each other every day? Or is it odd to contemplate this every day? It's been like this for probably seven years. My husband and I each have individual therapists as well as a relationship coach together. And I find myself in my own therapy and in my own head, generally in a place of how do I stay in this relationship and be happy? I envision a scale. One side is together, one is not, and it's always teetering, but staying together side always outweighs. Every few months, I hit rock bottom with my discontent. We have a blow up, but I hear his perspective about all the positives about him in our life, and I feel stupid. The strong positives about being with him are that we work great together as parents. The entire extended family whom I love and they love me, our home and our finances, which are plentiful. He's loyal, honest, generous with the world, a very good person in his soul, driven and very successful. And he generally doesn't have any complaints with me, only that I'm always dissatisfied and happy with him and I criticize. My complaints are that I wish he were more romantic, more attentive, I wish we had more shared passions, but then I think I'm being unreasonable. My happiness does not or should not lie in him and his attention. I'm also not attracted to him. I wasn't attracted when we met either, but his other good qualities outweighed this. So is it really fair for me to complain about it now? We do have a satisfying and fun sex life together, but it's never really a physical feeling of being turned on that leads me to sex. And I want to feel the turn on tingles so badly. He says I'm being unreasonable in my expectations. Um, We have tried various forms of non-monogamy on and off over the past six years, but I wonder if my desire for outside people is just to satisfy what I'm missing. He doesn't care much how he looks, and I'm a very visual person, and the visuals are a great turn-on or turn-off for me. I also nag him about his grooming, his diet, his fitness. We don't match up there. And so all of these things toil in my head daily. Is it normal that I consider the scale every day and let the scale tip to being together with this man for the wonderful qualities that he possesses and the commitment I hold to my family? Then how do I let go of my complaints and just let myself be happy with what is and what isn't? 
I think people in long-term relationships, married people in long-term relationships, with the stress of daily life and kids are lying when they say they never haul out the scales. They never put everything that their relationship is and everything their relationship isn't uh, on one side of the scale, really, and everything that could be possible for them if they were out of that relationship on the other side of the scale. I don't think it's normal, though, for someone to haul those scales out every day and to be turning these thoughts over in their head every day and heaping everything up onto one side or the other side of the scales every day. That sounds emotionally exhausting. And, you know, you say you're in therapy, you say you have a relationship coach. It sounds like you have a lot of very open and honest and direct conversations with your husband about how you're feeling. And just as it's exhausting for you every day to haul those scales out, it must be a little emotionally exhausting for him to know that every day you're making a decision about whether to stay or not, that every day he can hear the clanking of the scales as you haul them out, I guess first thing in the morning when you wake up. I agree with your husband to the extent that you might be more at peace in this relationship and hauling those scales out maybe every once in a while and not every day, every once in a while, like a normal married person with the normal anxieties and regrets and resentments that build up over time in any marriage. If you adjusted your expectations, maybe you'd be hauling those scales out once in a while and not every day. There is so much good here. You love your husband. You are great parents together. He is a caring individual. You were never physically attracted to him. And the sex that you have with him, while pleasurable, isn't sex that gives you the tingles. And yet one of your complaints is that you wish you were more romantic and more attentive. Do you really? If you're not attracted to him and you could take or leave the sex, but when you haul the scales out for the sex, it ends up on the pleasurable side of the scales. Pleasurable ends up outweighing what's unpleasurable or annoying about sex, but do you really want him to be more romantic, more attentive, this person that you have okay sex with, but that you're not physically attracted to and who has to be nagged about his personal hygiene routines? What you're lacking here, I think, in the relationship and the solution that seems obvious and so obvious, a solution that you mentioned having already tried some forms of openness what you want is NRE. What you want is new relationship energy. What you want are those tingles, tingles you never had with your husband. And 11 years into a marriage with kids, a person is unlikely to have for their spouse. There may be some sense memories, some muscle memory there about the tingles that you had for them at the start, some credit they get now for the tingles then, but you never had those tingles for your husband and very likely you wouldn't be experiencing those sort of can't wait to inhale you tingles now with your husband, even if you had. There is a place you can get those feelings, and that is with other men that you might be allowed to date or see. Now you have four young children. Logistically, it's difficult for somebody with four young children, the responsibilities of parenthood to – you know, you're not a single woman out there in the world 
dating. You're not even a person in an open relationship with a lot of free time on her hands out there in the world able to date. You're a parent involved in that endless relay race that is parenting. But if there was some allowance for occasional connections when possible with others, you might resent your husband less. And I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know or didn't already figure out. I'm really curious. You say that you've experimented with openness and you brush past that. Did the experiments go well? Were they acceptable to your husband? Was he allowed to see other women too? Maybe other women once in a while who didn't object to his personal hygiene practices, who were physically attracted to him in a way that you never were? As companionate relationships go, Yours sounds like a high-functioning, affectionate, loving, mutually supportive, companionate relationship, a very successful companionate relationship. Your dissatisfaction all stems from this one missing piece, which is an intensity of physical desire and sexual passion that you've never been able to experience with your husband, but that you don't want to go for the rest of your life without regularly experiencing those feelings again with someone that you can feel those things for or a rotating cast of someone's over the years that you're able to feel that something for because that nre it always wears the fuck off so if you find it with somebody else enjoy it so long as it doesn't distract you from your responsibilities at home to your kids and your husband but know that eventually as that relationship with that other person if you continue to see the other same person again and again, as it becomes a long-term relationship, that NRE shit's going to go away and you're going to have to go again, find it somewhere else. Maybe openness, some allowance for outside sexual contact where then you're not resenting your husband for what is missing and always has been missing in your relationship, in your marriage will make you more content than you already are. And you are pretty content in your marriage. You haul those scales out every goddamn day and every goddamn day you weigh staying or going and choose to stay. So you are content. You're just not as content as you could be. Definitely something to speak with your relationship coach about together with your husband and something to speak with your therapist about. 2023, we're in you, not too deep in you, but in you. Business owners, you're not so deep into 2023 that you can't still level up your business and set your year up for even more success. Get ahead of the competition or just beat your own personal business best by using stamps.com to mail and ship. Stamps.com lets you print your own postage and shipping labels right from your home or office. It's ready to go in minutes so you can get back to running your business sooner. Postage rates just increased again. Luckily, Stamps.com has the best discounts in the industry with rates you literally can't find anywhere else, like up to 84% USPS and UPS. Plus, Stamps.com automatically tells you your cheapest and fastest shipping options. For 25 years, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Get access to the USPS and UPS shipping services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And if you sell products online, Stamps.com seamlessly connects with every major marketplace and shopping cart. 
Use stamps.com to print postage wherever you do business. All you need is a computer and printer. They even send you a free scale so you'll have everything you need to get started. And if you need a package pickup, you can easily schedule one through your stamps.com dashboard. Set your business up for success in 2023 by getting started with stamps.com today. Sign up with promo code SAVAGE for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code SAVAGE. Let them know the Lovecast sent you. Stamps.com, click on the mic, enter code SAVAGE. Hi, Dan. Queer woman from the Pacific Northwest. My boyfriend quoted you in his dickful thinking recently, and I thought I'd ask your opinion. Background, we've been dating for three and a half years. We are monogamish. He currently has my blessing to find dates on dating sites. However, given his insecurities and jealousy, I do not have that option at this time to date guys he doesn't know. I've asked him, begged him really to educate himself more on E&M and unlearning his mononormative reactions to jealousy, etc. Aside from listening to you religiously, he's done little to expand his knowledge base. Here's the issue at hand. My boyfriend ambushed me on Christmas night with the news that he had been talking to a coworker for the past few days and she was into the same BDSM stuff that he was into and he wanted to start seeing her for an E&M relationship where he could teach her about E&M. He likes to think of himself as a dom and while he's great at that type of sex, he hasn't educated himself on the complexities that come with that type of play. I was pretty shell-shocked at his appalling timing and the fact he was acting like an excited schoolboy about this. We were already struggling given his jealousy issues surrounding my work as a professional cuddler and a massive schedule change on his part that would cut down our alone time to four days per month. We don't live together. These are just a few of the issues at hand. We had agreed to start seeing an E&M therapist weeks before this happened. He was unable to hear my concerns around her age. She's 23. He's 50. Mostly her lack of experience in BDSM, which can be fraught with emotional connection and feelings that neither of them are likely equipped to understand, given one, her lack of experience, and two, his lack of learning. And then there's the fact that they work together. He isn't her supervisor, but holds a position of respect. She could very, very easily blow up his world if she chose to. I'm imagining her showing bruises to management if she gets burned in this relationship and saying that he violated her and he could lose his job and potentially his license. I saw their text messages and what he characterized as a bit of texting was nothing of the sort. His reasoning when I brought up my hurt around the messages and the fact that he barely talked about being E&M was that Dan Savage says it's hard for E&M guys to get dates and they should roll it out slowly. And this was his plan. She has no interest in E&M, Dan. She just wants a daddy and was already calling him this in their exchanges, which he didn't correct. There was nothing ethical about how he handled this situation. And because of everything that's already going on with us, I vetoed her. He's still actively pining over her three weeks later and is, quote, trying to do the right thing, but this makes him want it even more. He's cheated in every previous monogamous relationship he has had, and even though he's now in an E&M relationship, it feels like he's going to give in to this urge despite my deep discomfort and concern. I should also mention my ex-husband cheated on me with a co-worker. I'm heartbroken at his dishonesty and his inability to really sit in reality. I can't abide the cishet male bullshit of not being able to control their dick. Am I being a bitch? I don't understand how we could become so gorked out over this girl he doesn't even know. It feels like there are three people in this relationship now, and I'm not sure how to get through this. All right. Just off the top of my head, because I'm not going to listen to your call again. He's bad at ethical non-monogamy. He's enforcing a double standard where he's allowed to troll, trawl dating apps and also pick up people who work under him, wherever it is that he's licensed to do whatever it is 
that he does. And you are not allowed to hook up with strangers. I don't know what that means. Hook up with people you might meet on dating apps. Hook up with people that you two aren't meeting together that he doesn't get to vet. And he's into BDSM as a dom. And you say he hasn't educated himself on the complexities and the emotional complexities of BDSM play. And here he is blundering into a relationship with a much younger woman who, if things go south, could blow up his life in ways that he might deserve to have his life blown up in if he's looking for BDSM play partners at work who are less than half his age. Break the fuck up with this guy. Why are you still with this guy? Why are you calling me about this guy that you shouldn't be dating anymore? If you are sick of, if you, quoting you, can't abide this cis hat male bullshit, why are you abiding it? Stop abiding what you can't abide. You will find that the shit you can't abide is easier to abide paradoxically once you've stopped abiding it. You say, it feels like there are three people in this relationship, which is famously what Princess Diana said about her marriage to then Prince of Wales. I guess I would attach a coda to this advice for you not to get into any cars in Paris until you're <laughs> out of this relationship. But that's the most important. They get the fuck out of this relationship with this emotionally stunted, doesn't sound like much of a catch of a guy who isn't doing ethical non-monogamy, if he's listening, hello, how are you, isn't doing ethical non-monogamy correctly. And yeah, it is harder for men in open, poly, ethically non-monogamous relationships to find partners. It is just generally easier for women who are married to find men who want to fuck them than it is for men who are married or involved with some other woman to find women who want to fuck them. When I talk about rolling that out slowly, if you're already engaged in furious sex messages exchanges, if you're already negotiating the contours of the sexual relationship that you hope to have with someone, you've rolled it out too slowly. I think men should disclose this. I think women who are in open or poly relationships with cis-het men, it is in your own, their own self-interest to, you know, if you like as a woman being in an open or poly relationship and you like being able to have sex with men who aren't your partner and it's harder for your partner to find women to have sex with, you don't want your partner to be stewing in resentment and feel aggrieved or feel like it's working for you but not them and then want to shut it down. So it is in a woman's own self-interest to help where she can help. Go to the sex parties with your partner if that's how he might meet other play partners vouch to other women for him. But you can't vouch for this guy, caller. Sexist double standards where ethical non-monogamy are concerned and this shitty behavior where you're concerned for this woman that you would rather he not involve himself with, you're concerned for her emotional safety and he's not? Yeah, sorry. Break the fuck up with this guy. And then it's not your problem whether he's risking his license by leaving bruises on a woman he met at work who's half his age. Are you ready for Valentine's Day? It is a very special holiday right up there with 420 and Feast of the Ass around here, but harder to find the right gift. I mean, we all know what to get somebody for 420, weed, and Feast of the Ass, feast. But Valentine's Day, you can only give flowers and chocolates so many times. So this year, 
Give the best gift you can possibly give a partner or partners or even yourself a subscription to Me Undies. A subscription to Me Undies, it's a gift that keeps coming. And who doesn't like the sound of that? For Valentine's Day, get 25% off your first purchase, plus get free standard shipping and free returns when you go to MeUndies.com slash savage. MeUndies has super comfortable and cute undies, bralettes, loungewear, and more in flirty new prints for this Valentine's Day. Get something that matches with someone you love, or you can match with your favorite ball of fur for the cutest pics anyone has ever seen. Available in sizes XS through 4XL, they have something for every booty to fall in love with. My booty, my personal booty, has been in love with their lounge pants for years. Nancy and both of her daughters love their MeUndies boy shorts, which come every month. MeUndies has a great offer for my listeners for Valentine's Day. Get 25% off your first order and free shipping right to your door or right to the door of your Valentine. To get 25% off your first order, free U.S. shipping, and to chat with their incredible Cheek Squad about any questions regarding sizing concerns, go to MeUndies.com slash Savage. That's MeUndies.com slash Savage. Let them know the Lovecast sent you, MeUndies.com slash Savage. Hi, Dan. Late 30s, cis male living in a major Midwestern city. And I am considering buying my wife a vibrator, and I was hoping that you or Nancy or some of your listeners might be able to weigh in on whether or not this is a good idea. So uh, she just had a baby a few months ago. It's our second child. The first was delivered through C-section. The second was delivered vaginally. And ever since she gave birth, her stuff just doesn't work the way it used to. So she's having some trouble having an orgasm on the rare occasions that we were able to have sex. So we need to figure out how it works down there so that uh, she can start experiencing pleasure again. The trouble is with two children, we just don't have very many uh, opportunities to have sex. And when we do, we're on the clock. So I think if I uh, buy her a vibrator, then, you know, she'll at least be able to have an orgasm every once in a while until we are able to uh, have sex more regularly. And I guess I just wanted some advice on whether or not this is the right way to go. Nancy's sitting across the table from me, and I'm going to ask her for the thumbs up or thumbs down on whether you should get your wife eight weeks after the birth of your second child, a vaginal delivery, a vibrator. All right, Nancy refused to give me a thumbs up or thumbs down, and we had to go into an executive session. Nancy's feeling, and it's actually the feeling I share after listening to your call, is you need to ask her. You need to ask your wife. You don't need to ask Nancy. You don't need to ask my listeners. And you kind of didn't ask me. You asked me to ask Nancy and my listeners, which I've done. I kicked it to Nancy. Nancy feels, and I agree, that the person with the important opinion here is your wife who just shoved a human being through her vaginal canal. You say you guys are already having sex eight weeks after the birth of your second child. And she's having a harder time experiencing pleasure. Well, yeah, I would expect so. I would expect eight weeks after the birth of a child, which is a traumatic experience, that your wife would maybe not be in full swing. And I worry that you're selflessly wanting to get a vibrator for her is going to be interpreted possibly by her as you hurrying her along in the healing process, which sounds like she's pretty far along in that healing process if you two are already having sex. A vibrator can be a great thing. 
giving birth, I have been told, can really change, scramble, rearrange somebody's body, the, the vagina, the, the clitoral tissues that even the infant, the baby passing through stretches, may reposition slightly. And it can take some time to find those new grooves, to carve those new neural pathways, to get back to the pleasure that you were having before. And some women do find that vibrators really help. Is your wife one of those women who would find a vibrator helpful? You know who knows the answer to that question? Your wife. Ask her. Go to her and say, honey, would would you like a vibrator? We've never, apparently, she doesn't have one already, didn't have one before. Would you like one now to see if that might help you get back to the orgasms you used to enjoy? Not for me. This is for private time. This is for you and your pleasure. Might redound to your benefit ultimately if sex is as pleasurable for her as it used to be, maybe with a vibrator as an assist, as a tool that you both use during partnered sex at some point down the road and then see what she says. If she says yes, and she's likely to say yes, I think if she feels this is coming from a genuine place and not a selfish place, a genuine concern for her pleasure and not from a selfish place where you're disguising your concern for your own pleasure and your shared sex life with your wife in the drag of concern for hers. So make sure it's about her and her pleasure before you raise the subject with the person that you should have raised this subject with in the first place, her. Hi, Dan. 32-year-old gay man calling from New York City about my current relationship of six months. It's the best relationship I've ever been in, but there's a couple of small things that have been bothering me, and I'm curious what you think. The guy that I'm dating has a thick beard, which I think is very sexy, but I've never seen him without the beard, other than old pictures. I think he looks hot in those old pictures. I asked him early on, you know, if he would shave and he said no. And I came to learn that he feels insecure about how he looks without a beard. For me, I feel a little strange about getting so close to someone whose face I've never seen. I feel like seeing their face is, and knowing what's behind the beard is in some ways important to sort of knowing them. I'm not sure if this is a situation where it's his body and I have no right to tell him what to do and, you know, he can present himself in whatever way he wants and I just have to deal with it. Or if there is something to seeing your partner's face uncovered and I'm sort of have some sort of place to say, hey, I'd love to see your face. If this is what you're choosing to pick a fight about six months into a relationship, it makes me wonder whether you want to be in this relationship at all or you're ready to be in a relationship. You know, we're all told that we should want relationships and we should be in relationships. And a lot of people who don't want to be in relationships and shouldn't therefore be in relationships or might just want to have a long string of successful STRs, short-term relationships of six months duration, will find a thing will look around for things subconsciously to create conflict in the relationship so they can get out of it for a conflict reason rather than a healthy reason. Like, I like short-term relationships and tend to have them. Maybe I'm unfairly psychoanalyzing you here and doing too deep a dive, but that you're picking a fight with this guy who has a beard, who had a beard when you met him, whose beard you think is hot, 
because you think that he should actually show you his face, which you haven't gotten to see, except all the times you've seen his face in photographs, which I think counts. I haven't seen my husband's liver. I haven't seen my husband's kidneys. There's all sorts of parts of our partners that we don't get to see. And yeah, his body, you have no right to tell him what to do. To an extent, I think that's true. To a large extent. To 97% of whatever the extent might be, I think that is true. If I got a face tattoo, my boyfriend would break up with me. I will not get a face. I don't want to get a face tattoo. I guess maybe only to test the limits of my control over my own body might I be tempted to get a face tattoo. But he can dictate to me about face tattoos because they would be unacceptable to him. So I wouldn't get one. So I always want to complicate or bring nuance to whatever anybody says. It's my partner's body. I have no right to tell him what to do, except in all the small ways we do kind of have a right to tell our partners what to do with their body by telling them what we would do with ours. You know, if Terry decided that his gender was eunuch, as some people have decided, as the WPATH guidelines now unpack treatment options for people whose gender identity is eunuch, he could do that with his body, but then he can't expect me and my body to stick around, right? Because he's not, uh, he's no right to tell me that I have to stay in a relationship with him past the eunuchification. Anyway, there is something to seeing your partner's face uncovered. You've seen it uncovered in photographs. He decided he is more comfortable, feels better, looks better, is more confident with a beard. That you're trying to fight him on this? That's not about the beard. That's about wanting out of this relationship for a reason, for conflict and generating that conflict. Or you have control issues that are going to complicate your relationships and result in your relationships being short-term and not always successful short-term relationships going forward. This ain't about the beard. It's about something else. You need to think about, I gave you two options. You need to think about which one or what other one it might be. All right, before we get to this week's listener response calls, let's share a little bit of the listener feedback that we got via email, DM, or comments at savage.love. John, a Savage Lovecast listener and a straight male swinger, wrote in via email to say, about the advice you gave Dan to the straight male caller who couldn't get it up at that straight orgy, the advice you gave may have been relevant for a gay guy who can't get it up at a gay orgy, but this is a proud heterosexual male. Having been in the lifestyle for 15 years, I can tell you this happens to more than half the men. What they do to remedy this, they take a double dose of Viagra like everyone else, and they have a boner for 10 hours straight. Mm, good to know. Thanks for the input there, John. I am not recommending that anyone out there follow John's advice because doctors tell people who have an erection that lasts for more than four hours to leave the orgy or wherever they are and go to the emergency room. So unless you're a medical fetishist and you worked out a deal in advance with everyone at the ER, so you're not involving people in your kink without their consent, taking two boner pills to induce an erection that lands you in the ER after 10 hours not okay. I advised a woman in her 50s in a sexless marriage of three decades to think about, I said it was the conservative option, to think about, just think about staying and adjusting her expectations 
The marriage was sexless. Her husband was fine with her seeking sex elsewhere, so she didn't have to choose between sex and her marriage, which was how she framed it. She could have both. Listeners objected, including Louise, who wrote... Dan's conservative side perspective to the woman in the sexless marriage shocked me. The caller said she had half a life multiple times and sounded miserable. Better to be alone than lonely with someone else around. Plus, she sounds like she has a lot going for her and is likely to have at least a few great adventures. And book ended by a discussion of desirable MILFs and a call where a man was advised to leave his sexless relationship. The answer was particularly puzzling. Well, it seems to me she could have adventures and stay in her marriage and not every sexless relationship or sexless marriage is the same. But Kin Reads seconded Louise writing, it's clear to me that this woman has taken on more than her fair share of the mental load in this relationship for decades. I think you can have a happy companionate marriage with someone if you have a true partnership, but she did not describe a relationship that sounded like a true partnership. Jessica writes, that happened to me. I was in my house and some scuzzy dude was out on the street waving. I saw him through the kitchen window. He held up his little phone and there it was, unmistakably porn. It's extremely confusing. I felt violated. I felt unsafe and confused in my own house for a while. Luckily, that feeling has subsided. There aren't a lot of people in this world that I hate, but man, I hate flashers. In the flesh or digital, fuck those guys. All right, keep those comments, DMs, and emails coming. There is a comment thread on each and every Savage Lovecast at savage.love, and I read all your comments. And now let's listen to your response calls. Hey, Dan, this is a response call for the caller who has been having issues with her partner's eight-inch cock and having it bend. So I think you were kind of starting to hint at what is called a queening chair. I work at a sex shop and I highly recommend one of these. Um, it's not just for queens, it's also for kings and any other NB royalty. That's a great way to help with cowgirl and reverse cowgirl positions. For any position, I recommend what's called the O-nut. They're basically these stretchy silicone cock rings that work as bumpers on the penis so that you can basically shorten the insertable length of his penis so it can be anywhere from i think half an inch to like up to three inches you can stack them and remove them and all that stuff they are a great tool and it can help with any position they want to try hi this is a response to the caller on episode 848 who has herpes but was interested in attending orgies and sex parties Yeah, agree with Dan's advice regarding the voluntary risk of people engaging in that type of semi-anonymous or completely anonymous sex at, at orgies or sex parties. I have also heard of sex parties where you are required to bring a STD screening and they have separate parties one party for people who have a completely clean slate regarding STDs and another for people who have something like herpes. And I believe they have wristbands with different colored stickers on it so that people could take a look at your wristband, see that you have something like HSV-1 or HSV-2, and then decide for themselves whether they would like to fool around with you. Dan, I was so disappointed in your response to the caller in 848. 
taking on the emotional labor of a marriage or cruise directing, as I call it, it's exhausting. And it's mostly placed on the feet of the woman and cis hetero couples. You put your head down and handle one emergency, one bill, one vacation, one family event at a time until you've lost all sense of time and who you are. Just because you've been carrying someone for 30 years doesn't mean you have to keep carrying them. You can hire somebody to mow the lawn or fix your car. No one should be making decisions based on the fear of dying alone. Die alone, wrapped in the warm embrace of all the amazing memories you had. Older women are just so discounted and expected to disappear. I'm so proud of this woman for realizing she's a powerful sexual creature who's better off being on her own. And maybe he'll be motivated enough to get off his ass and find a partner that makes him willing to engage in his own life. To her, do what I did and dump that motherfucker already. I had amazing adventures and found a true partner, and I can't believe I didn't do it sooner. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Go to savage.love slash askdan to record your question or your comment. Or you can use the voice memo app on your very own phone and email your question or comment to q at savage.love. Or you can call us old school at 206-302-2064. It's never been a better time to become a Magnum sub. Over the past two weeks, I've hosted two live events for Magnum subs. My Zoom show, Savage Love Live, my first ever AMA or Ask Me Anything. We're going to do more of those. A full year of Magnum subdom is just 40 bucks. Also includes the ad-free, extra-long Magnum Savage Love cast and the maxi Savage Love column. Become one of my subs today at savage.love slash subscribe. European listeners, we have heard your cries. Hump is headed to Europe, featuring a best-of lineup of hump flicks from over the years. We will be in Vienna, Brussels, Zurich, Berlin, and Munich. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash Europe. Follow me on Instagram, at Dan Savage. I'm getting close to 150,000 followers. Help me get all the way there in 2023 by following me, at Dan Savage on Instagram. Also, follow Demona Hoffman on Instagram, at Demona Hoffman. And you can find her podcast, her writing, and more at her website, demonahoffman.com. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian, who may never forgive me for this week's intro. And me and Nancy and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth will all be back out next week for an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you for downloading. <laughs>